This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. From our virtual studios in the Netherlands and Camarillo, California. It's time, once again, for the Marketing Geeks. That's our new intro, man. What do you think of it? Uh, I didn't feel like it. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I think it's fantastic. And you know, to that one, you got to pull, you got to pull the bong carb out when you inhale, man. So. <laughs> Just, you caught me. You caught me. Um, you know, uh, to that, to that one bad yeah, review, we are catering to that person. So we want, we want you back. That's we right. We want you back. Unsubscribe. <laughs> that's right so we we uh we just shortened we just shortened that up man just for for our listeners because uh some people thought that the intro was too long but now you know what that does is it just gives us a, a chance to talk i know longer and now we're just going to talk longer in our intro segment <laughs> but before we do that you know what we got to do what's that we got to pay some bills so we'll be right back Now, as a marketer, you know that your website is the most important brand asset that you have for any digital experience. So you need to make sure that uh, you need to have testing and building and optimizing for your site. And that's why there is a solution that is called Pantheon. It's a platform that will give you a Drupal or WordPress experience that surpasses any other platform. What do you think of that? In fact, uh, it's actually the only web ops platform built from the ground up for agility. And it actually gives web teams agile superpowers to iterate faster and deliver results. In fact, it's so good that uh, organizations like Coach, Yale University, and ACLU trust Pantheon to keep their sites fast, scalable, and secure. And there's a listener offer. So if you uh, go to pantheon.io slash marketing geeks, Pantheon will uh, give you a special uh, thing. Special welcome, a special welcome yeah. offer. So again, that's pantheon.io slash marketing geeks. You're going to want to check now, that out. Back to the show. Okay. So, uh, you know, go ahead, support that advertiser. And, uh, you, uh, you were, uh, stepping out on me, man, while I was having my grand adventure, you, uh, you went ahead and did a whole episode without me. That's right. This is the last of the, uh, sans Andros episodes that I had in the can recorded. Yeah. Uh, but we, I'm going to be, I do have an interview recorded with, uh, Mary Kay Schultons, uh, who is the director of strategic data sourcing from the Alant group. So we're going to talk a little bit about data, some good stuff, some good nuggets, have your pen and paper ready. And uh, it, it's exciting stuff. So we're going to get to that in just a moment. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you miss me while I was gone though? It, it was the, was the, um, was the show less dynamic than normal? Always, always Andres. It was, it was hard on me. <laughs> <laughs> it was hard on me. Well, uh, let's go ahead and roll that. And uh, then when we, uh, after that, we're going to get into some geek news and uh, interesting things are afoot. So uh, let's uh, let's get with this uh, uh, awesome interview that you did. Before I play the interview, I just want to say that you want to make sure to listen till the end because Alant will be giving out 20 free profile reports at the end of this interview. And I'll give you the details at the end, which will allow you to understand the characteristics of your customers by comparing customer data. So make sure to stay till the end for that detail. 
Hello and welcome to another edition of the Marketing Geeks podcast. I am your host, Justin Womack, and I am joined today by Mary Kay Schultens. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. Right, just double checking. Mary Kay Schultens of the Alant Group, who is going to be talking deep into the subject of data and data analysis for marketing. So I'm, I'm excited about this. Uh, I want to do a brief intro for, uh, for Mary Kay here, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let her kind of speak and, and talk. Um, but yeah, Mary Kay is a successful product leader with 15 plus years of experience in online and offline data product development, data integration, product metrics, IT project management, analytics, and data modeling for business and consumer data products in variety of industries and verticals. She has the proven ability to identify market needs, requirements, provide competitive analysis, develop product roadmaps, design go-to market strategies, and execute strategic performance management process for a wide assortment of data products. Uh, Mary Kay works with clients to prioritize and recognize value features and implement operational plans for their data assets. And she's an executive leader who brings an unparalleled level of experience to clients and helps them utilize strategic data, sourcing to create a holistic view of the customer in order to optimize. And now you're with, uh, you're with Alant. And tell me, tell me a little bit about your position there at Alant. And um, let's start with that. And tell me, and tell me what, what you're doing with data that's, uh, that makes your company unique. Well, there's, there's a couple things. Um, I'm responsible for all of our data um, relationships, both our client data and the protection and data governance of the data we receive, and then all the external third-party, second-party data that we get in. So my role is to try to match all the data assets together and help um, customers get, keep, and grow their, their existing customers by leveraging not only their own data that they collected on first party and the number of transactions, but that zero party data and that zero party data is the data that um, people raise their hand and say, here's my birthday, you know, reward me around my birthday. Here's, um, I have children, give me information about the children. So that zero party data is very important, but a lot of times companies don't have that information or they need to supplement it. So then I find data attributes that will help supplement supplement any type of data they're looking for. Why, why do you call it um, zero party? What, what, is the, what is the meaning behind that? I'm just curious. I haven't heard that before. Well, well because the first party data um, companies are collecting, they know you came to the website, they know what was in your, your um, basket and what you left behind. And that's just little pieces and breadcrumbs that people put together. The zero party data is information that I'm giving you as a brand, especially on the retail side. Um, I, I, I like running. So they know I like running shoes. They know um, my, my size. And I'm giving you that information because I want marketing promotions related to that. And a lot of companies forget about that zero party data because they're, they're so interested in collecting well, what that transaction was involved versus what I'm telling you what I want. You know, it, uh, even as a consumer and, and as a marketer, it becomes very frustrated is that, you know, I'm out there buying running shoes, but yet you're going to send me something, you know, that for my children's, you know, shorts. And it, it's a little frustrating. I said, I told you I was a runner. I want things on, on running. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so zero-party data is like the the details of your existing customer base, kind of. So you're getting into like their their needs, their wants, uh, and their birthdays too. I think uh, from a relationship marketing standpoint, that information is very important because people they don't always. Uh, I mean, I think they're excited when you remember their birthday, but uh, when you forget, that's when they uh, you know they think it's it's more it's, it's worse when you forget than to remember. <laughs> Right. And I think as marketers, we have to, as a consumer, I want the brand to know me, show me that they know me and, and 
prove it to me. Give me what I, I want. And, and that's only going to help me as on the brand side, ha- have them spend more. Now um, on the Alaunt, uh, on Alaunt's website, you talk about like four stages to the customer journey, it looks like. So you have the acquisition phase, the growth phase, retention and win back. And um, is that is that correct? Am I am I summarizing that correctly, or is that a? Uh... Uh, nope, nope, that is correct. You want to get, keep, and grow customers. It's it's what every I think brand is is trying to do. So on the acquisition side, let's let's talk a little bit about on the acquisition side. Um, when you're acquiring new customers, what kind of what kind of data are are you looking for in the early stages here? So let's say um, let's say you're, you're acquiring leads that are going to be converting into customers. Like what kind of data are you capturing in the beginning there? I'm just curious. So acquisition, I think, is very difficult for brands. Um, what how we start is we we take a look at your current customers and we perform perform profile reports. So we will help identify um, the basics, you know, home homeowners, children, um, state life stage, but also then um, look at other information about owning pets, um, interest in hiking, interest in travel. So that helps hone in what type of person, not only where they are in their life stage, but also their likes and, and dislikes and their behaviors to help figure out what type of, of what type of person, consumer, is your best customer. So we, we perform a profile and then we help identify within their trade area or locations around the store, or um, if, if, they're, if they're all e-commerce, who they, who they want to target and help select those audience. Now, we uh, house multiple files, so it's not just one consumer file. We have a lot of um, consumer information from your, your major compilers, like your Axioms, your Epsilons, your KVMs of the world, but also that second-party data, and that's more of your like your magazines and, and behavioral-type data, and, and we use that information to select uh, prospects for our customers. So once, you, once you've kind of narrowed down a profile of a customer, are you getting involved in the traffic process and tracking those analytics as well? Or are you mostly like profile data and, and those kind of uh, pieces? No, we, we, try, um, we uh, track traffic. Uh, we also help with um, site location. Where's the best place to put a, a store if, if you have a brick and mortar mm-hmm. type store? But um, also where, what else is going around? Location data, a lot of digital location data. What type of people are, are um, visiting that area around the store location? So we do all of that. Okay. So, uh, so do you get, um, what percentage of your clients would you say are, are brick and mortar or, or physical location versus like online? Um, I would say uh, 60, 40, 60% are um, brick and mortar, but all, out of those 60%, um, the majority of them have e-commerce, uh, e-commerce sites. About 40%, um, maybe 30%, I would say are just pure digital or, or e-commerce sites. Everybody's starting to move that way, especially with, you know, Amazon. They have to learn how to compete with Amazon. And it's, it's less expensive to just throw up a, an e-commerce site than it is to actually have a physical location. So from a, uh, I'm just curious, also from a brick and mortar standpoint. So, I mean, we have, we're obviously at some brick and mortar stores that are listening to the, to the episode. Yeah. So for what's like a, a key, a key metric for a brick and mortar store to look for uh, in data. I mean, is that, is that come down to the same kind of thing of profiling and just uh, finding the best resources to find those people or what, what can a brick and mortar store do a little bit differently than like an online e-commerce store? 
I think one step further beyond profile is for those brick and mortar um, stores is look at the, the radius in the neighborhood um, around you. How far are your customers driving to your location? Um, where are they visiting? Are they, maybe they're driving past it on their way to work and we can help them identify who's driving past and stopping at the store versus who lives in the area. So not only of who your customers are, but then you take it one step further and you, you find out where they're coming from and if, if they're local. And that helps your targeting on the acquisition side because then you can split and, and uh, tailor your message to those two types of customers. Gotcha. Very interesting. Now, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, so I gave you, I gave you that introduction um, and we covered a little bit, but I'd like to hear a little bit more about you, how you got into data and just kind of let our listeners know a little bit more about uh, Mary Kay. Sure. Um, I started in data when I was two, um, but uh, in seriousness, I've been in data for a long time. I actually started um, working for um, TransUnion, a credit bureau, and really started to understand the types of data that was being collected. Then I moved into product and, and trying to create a, a product role and trying to create products. And most of the products were um, around uh, identifying data, but also linking data together. So you get disparate parts of information and, and how that all links together. So that's, that's one thing I think data is the fuel, but it feeds so many other things. It feeds data products. It feeds identity resolution. It's a backbone pretty much of, of all marketing activities. So I've had a lot of experience in that. Um, moved in, stayed in the product role for a long time, moved into a, a marketing um, leadership role with an analytics company and um, again data and analytics go hand in hand and you throw marketing on top of it and, and then you start being able to help customers figure out and, and give them some strategy on their marketing programs and then um, now I'm, I'm pure into data strategy and helping our clients figure out what they want to do what what not only kind of data do they want to purchase to supplement but what can they do with their own data mm-hmm. Yeah, leveraging data. You know, I was just at a, a seminar or um, social media marketing world, and they had a they had a Google Analytics rep, one of the tops uh, top reps in the country, apparently. Uh, but he was talking about how, with the rise of AI, the companies that keep the best data are going to be the winners because um, once artificial intelligence kicks in, it's it's going to kind of know how to use that data. But if you're not keeping data, it's not going to help you at all. So it's going to be we're kind of moving into an era where the um, where the prediction is that the people that keep the best data are going to be uh, are going to be winning in the long run here, right? Yep, and and that that's very important. And and um, machine learning and artificial intelligence are, are key to to keeping up with with all the changes and and that additional data that you're going to be able to start to collect and and make actionable. Okay, so can you walk me through? Let's say you have a um, let's say you have a customer. Let's kind of walk through the process of how you're going to work with somebody at a, at a launch over there. So I know we we talked a little bit about the acquisition phase already. We talked about um, some of the ways that you're going to um, you're going to use data in the early stages. But can we kind of go through that process a little bit, and so we, uh, our listeners can get a feel for how you're leveraging data throughout the entire process? Sure. So with the, the acquisition um, part of the process, we, t- we talked about profiles, um, creating lookalike, mo- uh, lookalike models. So you're, you're basically taking the profile one step further. Then you can also look at lifetime value. So not only what your, your customers look like, but who's going to make, give you the most value. Um, and then from there, once, once you've acquired the cu- customers, you want to want to grow. So you want to get them past that first, first transit 
transaction. So um, helping design welcome programs and um, that onboarding of the initial, you know, 30, 60, 90 days so that after that customer has, has made a transaction with you, um, what's the, the next likely product that you want to offer them um, that involves both analytics and, and some historical looking at what their current purchase is, what their first first purchase was, and um, then what channel do, does that customer want to communicate? And that, that's how you're going to continue to grow and, and nurture those um, customers. Well, after the first uh, first purchase or so, um, then uh, first couple purchases, you want to be able to retain them. A lot of times, brands are so focused on getting new customers in the door, they forget. And, and having them do their second purchase, they forget about retaining some of the, those good customers. So, um, help them with segmentation. So now you want to start to, to group your customers at the one and done's and, and maybe you touch them once every three months, the ones that are always there and you want to continue to touch them on a weekly or a, a mo- at least a monthly process. And then the, the ones that are on that edge, the ones that have been one or two purchases, but you want them to, to be long-term and, and retain customers. So is this kind of how you, this is how you segment like your email list. So you're, you're kind of segmenting them based on like, like hot, warm and kind of lukewarm. <laughs> is that kind yeah. of, is that, is that kind of what you're saying? Or do you, I mean, you segment, I imagine you segment this in the CRM as well, but, uh, but when you're emailing, do you have different messages that go out based on their purchase uh, activity frequency? Yep. Uh, and that's very important. That's, that's where some of that, that first party data is very important. It's like the, they've um, purchased, um, you know, a baseball hat and, and a glove. And now they, they probably want a ball. So you want to make sure that you're, you're giving them the next best purchase and, and they really feel like um, they want to come back to you because, because you're paying attention to what, Mm -hmm. what they previously um, bought. And, um, and I, I think that's important. Now from a, with, when you have, um, so you have, let's say you have an email database and you're sending you're sending based on the segments. Now, when you have people that are that stop responding, are you cl- are you cleansing that every now and then? Are you um, are you checking? Are you doing like reengagement campaigns if somebody hasn't opened an email in two months or three months? Are you doing any of that? Sure. Tracking that? Yep. So after retention, um, the second most important before acquisition, because I think when we're talking about win back, um, you you want to identify those lapsed customers, but you don't want to get rid of them. Um, you want to take a look at uh, several things that have they've they've done. Uh, how long? It, what's the time span? Do they purchase? It? Maybe they only purchase every six months, so they're not really gone. They but you want to make sure you, you're you're tracking when those purchases are. And then somebody who's been gone more than six months, and you, you want to keep touching them, and you want to have a specific program to how many touches they are. Come on back, get them an offer to to make sure that they get back. And then eventually, after whatever your your cadence is, maybe three touches or four touches, then you decide that you know after six months out of trying to reengage them that it's time to rest them and, and let them come back on, on their own. Because we know that people have limited marketing dollars and you want to make sure you're getting the return on that investment. But um, all four of those, the acquisition, the growth, the retention, and win back, those are key to, to all marketing programs. So you, you talked a little bit about marketing channels earlier. Now, uh, from like a marketing mix standpoint, are there, I guess uh, I'm, I'm thinking more like globally, like universally, are there any sources that you see as more effective than others on, on like a global level? I mean, I'm sure niche specific, it's going to change a little bit, but I mean, as a company, do you focus more on like 
email marketing or um, classic public relations or, you know, Facebook advertising? Is there anything that you're seeing that's like kind of working almost on a global level or you see it more as everything is very specific to the, uh, to the niche and like the traffic sources change? No, I, I think that we're, we're seeing a lot is that a, a multi-touch um, program is, is very important. We have customers that uh, started as a DM campaign, and I know a lot of marketers out there listening are going to say, DM, I didn't think anybody uses DM, but it's still showing great returns. So the marketer started with a DM campaign, followed up uh, a week later with an EM campaign, and then um, retargeting for some that, that hit the website, but also just on, alongside of that is a digital marketing campaign. And, and the return was, was significant. The ROI on all three of those channels were, was fantastic. And it was a blend because just, just a DM alone gives you about a 2%. But when we added email, it went up to, to 5%. And, and that's significant. And it, it was hard because we did the multi-touch attribution, both the combination of email and digital, they, they really work hand in hand. Okay. So, so multi-touch, multi-platform um, make, makes sense. Now, on the, uh, on the winback side, so when you're working with clients, too, do you, do you have them allocate a portion of their budget to like win back and to, because I, I see this a lot where, where clients like put their entire marketing budget into new acquisition and they totally negate um, their current client base. So I, when I work with people, I try to like set aside a marketing budget, not only for the new clients, but actually to, to retain the current ones and to, and to, um, you know, sell them more or sell them or sell them right. up a bigger, into bigger programs or, or cross sells or whatever. Do you, uh, do you do that as well? I mean, do you kind of distribute the marketing budget evenly or how does that work? Sure. Um, our, our rule of thumb is usually about, um, 40% on acquisition and then the remainder spread across the, the growth and retention and, and win back. Um, acquisition and growth should be the main focus, but you have to have a fair amount for, for retention and win back. Yeah, no, I hundred percent agree that I hundred percent agree that acquisition should be a key focus and the main focus, but uh, yeah, it's just, it, but you're, you're so right when you said earlier though, there's just so many companies that just forget that's <laughs> you know, yeah, that. <laughs> granted because they already gave you money. But um, you know, there's a lot of, if you're thinking in terms of lifetime customer value, like you were talking there's a lot more money to be, uh, to be made. And you know, that relationship can go for years and years and years. Now, when you're um, speaking of lifetime value, so when you're, when you're, when you're talking in the acquisition phase it, do, and you've calculated like a lifetime value, do you encourage clients to spend above their, their break even points? If they know that, in the, if they know they have a lifetime value, that's going to exceed a break even point. Does this make sense? Would you, would you encourage them to spend more than the break even point to acquire a customer? Well, that's a, a very good question. I'm not sure we've ever recommended to spend beyond the the maximum estimated lifetime value. Um, I think you can tell if it continues to grow in their lifetime value and is you know off a little bit or, or they're they're spent more than originally was estimated. Sure, you, but you have to get that return on investment, and you have to be sensitive um, when you start trying to spend about the same on that lifetime value, then you're, you're using those dollars that could be used to get um, additional customers because it, it's like having a loyalty program where, where you're rewarding people that, that are going to come back no matter what. So you already know that they're good customers. You know they're going to continue to spend with you. 
They don't, don't need very much encouragement, um, very much marketing. You should spend more of your dollars, I believe, in trying to move people up to that, that higher tier, those, those ones that are your highest um, lifetime value. If, if they're only going to make one or two transactions, you want them to come in one more time, especially like on the restaurant side, one more visit. And that's a hundred dollar um, p- potential in revenue for checks. You know, if you're thinking of two parties going in for dinner and they come in one more time a year, that's another hundred dollars. And you multiply that about how many times you've increased that one additional visit. Um, you much rather spend time on those people than those customers in the loyalty program that are continuously coming back because you know they're going to come back and their their lifetime value is always going to be more than those those ones that um, just come back and uh, not as frequently. Yeah, interesting. Now um, I've been reading a lot about how Google has they continue to to kind of become this uh, mainstay of predicting behavior. And like Google right now, they're, they're getting so good that they're able to almost predict like who's going to buy when and, and those kind of things. Now, does your company do any predictive type of analysis? Um, like, um, and I'm curious if you do, like what kind of key metrics or key uh, like KPIs are, are you looking for that, that would show that somebody is likely to buy versus somebody less likely to buy something like that? Does that make sense? That Yep, it does. So um, Google, uh, everybody loves to hate them and, and we all use them and, and they're, you know, that walled garden and have all that, that information and, and they're good at it. And, and Amazon's very good at it. Um, but we can use brands data um, to, to help, um, help do that, that prediction and, and figure out where, what's going to be, um, what the customer is looking for or, or how often that uh, they need to be touched. So we, we do help that with the full um, media type mix of, of how many touches, what they're going to buy and, and who they should focus on. So that strategy is something that we do do. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about how a lot would work with um, like a small to medium sized business and talk a little bit about how you could serve like those type of businesses. And, and then also I, th- I was just saying that I believe that you had, you had something for the listeners. Um, as a gift. So. Yep. So um, the the way we help help customers, and especially in the midsize, is um, it, it goes back to that that profile and understanding who your your customers are, and and being able to help you find more customers um, like that. But a lot being a multi service provider, that we can help you decide which channel and how to spend your, your marketing dollars. So you want to be able to um, spend X number of dollars on um, email, X number of dollars on, on digital and, and help you have that right, right balance by looking at, at your customers and, and who they are. Um, I believe it, especially for mid-sized businesses, local marketing is, is really important. Knowing where, um, who your customers are or what type of customers are, are within three to five miles of, of your location is very important. So not only the profiling of who your, your current customers are, but looking at, at the neighborhood around your store and, and looking and trying to find um, people that might be used um, or might like what, what the brand is, is offering. How do you go about local marketing? What, what are your recommendations for local marketing? Is that like hitting the, the local newspapers? Is that like putting up flyers in all the stores? I mean, um, <laughs> what, like, I mean are we just targeting people uh, on Facebook within a certain geographic radius? I mean, what, what, what kind of, uh, what kind of tactics do you usually employ for the, like the short range local marketing? 
Yeah, but believe it or not, for local marketing, shared um, shared mail uh, works. You know those value packs that still works because that gets you out, especially um, the the mom and pop shop that gets in the local restaurants that gets people into your your business because they they're within three three miles of of the store location. Um, the other thing is email campaign because emails um, offers it it's it's a, more of a shotgun approach than a, a specific target um, approach. But uh, for local marketing, it, it's emailing everybody in a, in a certain geography. And there's a lot of um, lists, some some very good prospect email lists out there that um, are, are very successful. And, and you can use those lists and help refine it and make it more of a, a one-on-one campaign. Um, but it's just providing air coverage. I also really believe in, in digital marketing uh, and some of our multi-touch uh, attribution analysis we've done. It sometimes takes a consumer 30 days of seeing the same digital ad before they actually take action. I always um, equate it to like driving on the, the expressway and you see that billboard like a dozen times. Every single day you see that billboard, but it's not until you need that service. It's like, oh, wait, I saw that somewhere. And you, you jot down the number or you take a picture of, of uh, the billboard. And that's, that's how I, I view digital. It, it just provides that air cover and makes sure your, your brand's getting recognized. Well, it's true. I mean, a lot of marketing is getting the person at the right place in the right time. And so the more that you're showing yourself with frequency, the more likely you're going to hit that point. <laughs> right. Yeah, the, that that customer journey is is very complicated, and it's just trying to figure out where where that person is, and in life stage and behavior has a lot to do with that. And and going back to the the data, knowing who those customers are and and who that consumer is, um, and what life stage they are, that that really helps you hone into when are they going to need that information. That's why like um, trigger lists and and um, life events lists, like newly married, newly engaged, new movers, that's why they perform so well because you're getting them at that right mo- moment and they're raising their hand. They're saying, hey, I'm, I'm pregnant. Hey, I'm moving. Hey, I just got engaged. So um, we like those lists because they help us out a lot. I was talking to somebody that was like, if you have a, a list of, uh, of new couples that are pregnant, that's like the best list you can ever have because you know exactly where they are for like the rest of their life in marketing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now they have a preschooler or a kindergartner. <laughs> and, and it goes all the way up to, oh, they're learning how to drive. Now they're off to college. Yep. Exactly. Those are, are really good lists. We like those a lot. <laughs> so what, what else do I need to know about, um, about data in, in 2019 and what's like, what else are some key points that we can, some value, some value nuggets that we can give our listeners here regarding data and marketing? Um, so I, I would say is that data, the data landscape is going to change a little bit, not so much in 2019, but, but 2020. I think um, privacy um, with the California Privacy Act, it, it's going to become a, a little bit of a, a tough navigation for, for marketers and, and they need to be prepared. Um, so per- I'm still hoping that that's not falls through. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we are, we all are, um, but you you just have to be prepared for it. it. It I was instrumental in setting up our our do not call um, process and and products here. As long as you're following the rules and you're you're playing right, which I believe all your listeners probably are, are and and you're in those um, in the following the rules, you're able to still navigate it and and be able to market people and 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 it's going to be people who want to be marketed marketed to because uh the, it's thing i believe it's called the ccpa 
It's a so the CCPA. Just to give our listeners some background here, this is a it, it's a from what I understand, it's essentially the GDPR brought to California. <laughs> it's a it's a data protection new law that's supposed to go into. Is it going to effect on in January twenty twenty? January 2020, and we call it here uh, GDPR light. Yeah. Um, there's not as many fines, although that's starting to change. Um, there are some um, restrictions, but the fines aren't aren't a, as heavy. Um, they're trying to figure it out in California still. It's it's still with the attorney general, so it's. Um, I actually got a phone call. I actually got a phone call this or last week from somebody that's lobbying against it, and they wanted me to come out to a <laughs> thing to lobby with them. Kind of busy, yeah. but I'm interested, so because I, I really don't want that to pass. So. No, no, and, and I don't think any of us do. Um, but on the heels of that, you have Washington and, and Vermont. I think I just read there's like ten other states, um, and it, it does feel a little bit like do not call all over yeah. again. So the government likely, although we don't want that either, will step in and hopefully make it um, reasonable rules for for us all to follow. But it's it's mainly just the protection of that data. I mean, I do a lot of email marketing. So like for me, it's, it's very, it's going to affect me a lot. And so I've already started like changing where I'm you now requiring like double opt-ins and um, I'm spending more time, you know, se- segmenting up front um, because yeah, the, the, the way that this is going to, I mean, it, it's going to be a big deal. And it's going to shock a lot of, uh, a lot of business owners that don't know what's coming. Cause I don't, I don't think that many people even know this law is coming uh, from a general right. standpoint. So it's uh it, it, it may or may not be a big deal, but it, like if, if it goes through the way that it potentially could, it could be a huge, huge deal and it could really shake the, the landscape of marketing in California um, next year. So time will tell on that one, but uh, I'll, I'll be prepared. I've been, uh, I'm reading up on it right now and I've, I've shifted, uh, I shifted the way I'm handling my email onboarding now and, and some of my CRM is GDPR compliant. So that helps too. That oh, I, then I, you're right I, there. Right there. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is I, I, I would say is, is um, a lot of uh, brands are, are struggling with the amount of data they have and they can't figure out what, what to do with all, all the data. And the, the number one thing to do, I believe, in 2019 is probably just do an assessment of the data you're collecting on your, your customers, the third-party data you, you're um, getting from, from providers, and really having an inventory and a, a catalog of, of what your data is. That will help not only with the privacy, but then it, it will help your analytics team or any marketing firm you bring in to help out understand what's available to them. Awesome. So um, where can our listeners go to learn more? Um, so uh, shameless self-promotion, they can, um, <laughs> they can, <laughs> they can um, certainly come to alongroup.com. Um, I would also say that um, there's a lot of information from any of your, your large um, data compilers out there, your axioms, your epsilons, uh, KBMs of the world. They have a lot of information about, about data, but to um, hear more about or learn more about what we're talking about today, um, our website has a host of, of white papers and, and uh, blogs about um, everything we talked about, acquisition, growth, retention, and win back. So what's the one piece of data that you think is the most important of anything of all data on the whole planet? Um, it, this this will surprise you. I actually think it's it's a category more than one piece of data. I actually think uh, consumer survey data is one of the most important pieces of information. There's a lot of commercial um, survey companies out there, and they ask 
thousands and thousands of questions, um, you know, MRI, uh, Simmons, Nielsen, about the brands and, and how customers and consumers feel about the brands. Now, they don't do everybody in the country, but they do a significant uh, sample size where you can really get a good feel of, of attitudes and behaviors about, about your brand. Interesting. So that's a good way of keeping tabs on how your brand is being received in the general public. Yes, it is. And, and it, 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 I think it's more insightful even than your, your own social media feedback because when you're answering surveys, a lot of these consumers are not thinking, oh, I, I'm, I'm really mad at this brand today. They're actually just giving their attitudes and behavior across multiple brands. They can do it anonymously on, uh, right. on a survey versus, well, on Twitter, they can do it anonymously. Like, uh, I think Twitter <laughs> Right. But the, uh, <laughs> on Facebook, it's going to be more tied to their actual self. So. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But I, I, I think anonymous in those larger surveys and, and, and those surveys have moved online. So now they're not only getting the people at home or the people who are watching TV, they're also getting people that are um, consuming um, Internet and, and media on their phones um, or computers. Now, how else, um, if our listeners want to contact you directly, can they connect with you on social media or is there how can they reach out to you? Um, they can reach out to me at um, both my LinkedIn is Mary Kay Schultens, or they can um, email me directly at MK Schultens, S-C-H-O-L-T-E-N-S, at Alant Group, all one word, dot com. And I'll put that in the show notes to make that easier so they could just click on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, thank you, Mary Kay. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you on here. And, thank you, Justin. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. So thanks a lot. Yep. Thank you very much. My thanks to Mary Kay Schultens. Thank you for being on the show. That was awesome. Uh, as I indicated earlier, Alant has announced uh, since this interview that they are going to be giving away 20 free profile reports to our Marketing Geeks listeners. So uh, make sure to take fast action on that. This special offer is available only to the first 20 listeners that claim it. So be sure to go to the URL, which will be in the show notes. I'm going to read it to you now. It's kind of a long one, so you might want to just check the show notes to get it down. <laughs> but let's give it to you. The URL is www.alantgroup.com, and Alant is A-L-L-A-N-T. Um, and then it's forward slash, and this last part is all separated by hyphens. It's marketing-geeks-podcast-giveaway.html. So one more time, that's www.alantgroup.com forward slash marketing dash geeks dash podcast dash giveaway dot html there you have it the long url read for you right on the air uh, go check it out claim your free report this is a very valuable gift we're th we're very thankful that alant is uh providing this for our listeners it's very uh it's a very valuable thing so uh, take advantage of it while you can this will only be available for a limited time and uh and stay tuned because the show's not over yet that was that was awesome, man. Uh, I I uh, I really appreciate what you brought without me. Why, well, uh, thank you. Thank you. It means a lot. It means thank a lot you for from you, the interviewer of interviewers. <laughs> you know, I, I, I try to so, ask. Uh, I try to like put people on the hot seat. I try to ask those hard, hard hitting questions that you always ask. Sometimes I get there. Sometimes I fall a little short. But you know, I'm doing my best. You know, and that's all we can ask for in this lifetime is just to do, uh, do our best. Really, that's right. Uh, so, uh, how about how about some geek news, man? Let's do it. Let's do it.
Uh, if we're getting into All geek right. news, I, right. I got I got one to kick it off. Um, they are re-releasing. Yeah. They are re-releasing Avengers Endgame with a post-credits added scene. That's it. Nothing else. They're just re-releasing the movie with a post-credit added scene. Now, why? Why would they do this? You might ask that. Well, it turns out that Avengers Endgame is, I think, about forty to fifty million dollars uh, million dollars shy of breaking the all-time worldwide record for box office take. Um, with the current leader being Avatar, the James Cameron film from 2008 or nine. And so Disney has big money signs in their eyes and they want that, they want that title. So uh, I, I guess someone picked up a camera, shot a quick uh, one minute post credit scene. It's probably going to be terrible. And, uh, and they're like, you know what, let's get that $40 million. Yeah, uh, I uh, I would if I were James Cameron, you know what I'd do? I'd re-release Avatar with a post-credit scene. That's what just I was to, thinking, though. But I mean, just to they're, 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 yeah. He, when the time Avatar two comes out, like there actually will be kind of a desire to re-release Avatar because like a lot of people haven't even seen exactly. it. Exactly, like ten years old now. <laughs> you know, here's the thing, though. Let's say hypothetically they re-release it, and at the very end, you see like. Uh, you know, some sort of space scene and then uh, you see a spaceship flying and it's uh, it's uh, Mr. Fantastic in his spaceship. And uh, we know that the Fantastic Four is about to get introduced into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think that you would have 40 million worth of people show up just to see that yeah. one scene. In you're the right. Theater. You're right. If it's something like that, that actually probably would sell $40 million worth of tickets. I agree. Although you, you know, what's very interesting is um, uh, just recently, this is also geek news. Um, Marvel comics has just canceled all future X-Men uh, publications. So there's going to be no more X-Men comic books in the immediate future. They're basically canceling them across the board uh, probably to prep the uh, the reset that's going to happen with the integration of uh, the X Men into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So uh, keep your eyes. Interesting open stuff. In uh, other in other news, like have you seen any new movies, Andros? Uh, I, I mean, I, I went and saw. Um, I've seen Godzilla. I've seen uh-huh. I've seen um, X Men Dark Phoenix. And uh, I, I thought, Oof, sorry to hear that. Actually, Dark Phoenix was, I mean, my expectations were like in the toilet. I mean, they were really, really low. So yeah. uh, for some reason, I thought it was not that bad. I mean, I thought it was better than X-Men Apocalypse. I thought X-Men Apocalypse was a travesty in every sense of the word. Oh, what a disappointment. Now, uh, God, the yeah. Godzilla movie, though, was like, there's some cool action in it, but the plot was like ridiculous. It was so lame. I just couldn't, I couldn't even, I couldn't deal. I couldn't deal. <laughs> Eco well, eco terrorism. Uh, That's all I'm, I'm going to say. Eco terrorism. I'm waiting. I'm waiting to uh, go see Toy Story four. So uh, that's that's the next thing that I'm probably going to be uh, seeing. And and I'm I'm uh, I'm waiting for uh, season three of Stranger Things. So, uh, but uh, you know, we can. It, it seems like the summer of of huge disappointments, which which is basically uh, what I could also call my my first marriage um, well, the, yeah the movies, uh, news, the movies uh, that have been released have been bombing like uh men in black three is a disaster um yeah x-men dark phoenix is the lowest of all the movies all the x-men movies all 10 of them over the 10-year period uh, yeah they're bombing so everything is failing except for avengers endgame which is about to be the number one movie of all time so with that caveat but you know what the, here's the thing 
the the with Avengers Endgame, they didn't make a movie to make money. I mean, they made a movie to make money, but uh, they took some time to really plot this thing out. And uh, and it it's not like they really did that with uh, uh, with any of these sequels. It was more like, hey, let's just throw these elements together. People will pay to see anything, right? Yeah. Uh, I I I feel like this these the, some of these movies are just cash grabs and. You know, story first, man. It always it always comes back to that. So uh, well, I wanted to. Yeah, I, I wanted I, to get into uh, a little bit of uh, tech news too. Uh, you ready to do some business news? Was yeah. You? Okay. Well, I have, we have a couple. I think we both have a couple stories on on our favorite our favorite social networking company, Facebook. We love you, Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, You're so great. Is, uh, um, but the the first story I wanted to share is I just found this one to be kind of amusing. Um, this comes from The Verge. It says the headline is interviews with 12 former Facebook content moderators from Tampa. Uh, three on the record uh, have talked about where working conditions were appalling and they are now experiencing PTSD. And it's just uh, another, you know, it's just another one of those stories uh, talking about how great of a, uh, you know, a person Mark Zuckerberg is and, and the, the company he runs. Man, I, I just, I, I, my hope is that somewhere in the future I will be able to live to see the ground open up and Facebook just gets swallowed into it along with Wells Fargo and uh, Comcast. They can all go to business. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm reading, uh, I'm reading the book Bitcoin billionaires right now. And it's a, uh, it's the sequel to the social network, the movie uh, that, that when that was in book form, it was called the accidental billionaire, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. so this is called Bitcoin billionaires. It's about the Winklevoss twins, but the first, the first section of the book is all about the Winklevoss twins suing Mark Zuckerberg. And it's all about the lawsuits, um, because he basically stole the idea from them. Uh, but it just shows you like how much of an arrogant asshole Zuckerberg is. It's, uh, it's pretty amusing. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> despite so, what he plays on the news. Yeah, no, he, he plays like, and I, I swear that guy's not human. He's like... He's an agent of Cthulhu. Uh, uh, in further Facebook news, uh, you know they were, they're trying to launch their own cryptocurrency. I think that the Winklevoss twins invested in that. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> could be. Well, yeah, not in the Facebook coin, but maybe, maybe I don't know. So they're they're doing something called the Libra, and uh, it's uh, it's a cryptocurrency. Now, here's the thing: in in a lot of uh, countries in Asia. Uh, the, uh, they use crypto, uh, not crypto, they use, uh, Facebook for a lot of transactions. Uh, Facebook is used slightly differently in different parts of Asia. And, uh, so it, it makes sense because there's a lot of transactions that are happening within, uh, within Facebook. So they just want to capitalize on that. Uh, I, and it would simplify international transactions would be greatly simplified. So it would be, make it easy to do transactions worldwide. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I, I have to tell you, uh, I hope nobody invests in that. I really, well, it's just like from a, from a company that's so skewered in privacy violations and like, you know, and almost like now he like human rights problems. Like when you're talking about people that are bad working conditions, things like that. It's like, do you really want to trust them to take over this aspect also? I mean, you know, it, it doesn't help their case that they're, I believe like Google, Facebook, Amazon all have kind of like antitrust investigations going on. And here's Facebook expanding into another major sector of, uh, <laughs> of the public. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, it's not like they, uh, you know, they, they uh, do have a bit of a trust issue. 
to say the least. So uh, I would, uh, I would definitely, I mean, I, I, I don't really do Facebook anymore. I try to avoid it because it's such a, it's, and I have to admit, since I've gotten off Facebook, you're my, a principled man. You moved out of the country. You avoid Facebook. Um, I am still on Facebook, and I still live in the U.S. Well, I still, I still have my account just so people can get a hold of me. But um, I, I'm, I'm slowly leaving it completely. Um, so, uh, in, in, uh, it, with that, uh, it looks like some House Democrats are actually. Uh, trying to stop this, uh, this cryptocurrency from happening. So we'll see how successful they are with that. They'll probably be about as successful as uh, trying to make uh, impeachment happen. <laughs> well, you know, none of them know what it is. Like nobody, no one in the house knows what a cryptocurrency is. Oh yeah. Is. If you, if you, <laughs> if you really want a good laugh, listen to anyone in Congress, try to explain or be explained to, uh, uh, the internet. I mean, uh, and that, that's just the internet. That's just the yeah. internet. We're not talking about blockchain. We're not talking about crypto. Like let's, yeah, let's have a conversation about that. That would be amusing. Ah, oh, man. Uh, in, uh, in other news, Twitter's ad revenue has jumped 18% as marketers invest more in the platform. This is kind of interesting. This is from marketing land. Uh, advertisers saw a total Their ad- stock has been steadily climbing. So yeah, yeah. I've noticed that their stock has done well. Yeah. And, uh, advertisers saw a total ad engagements increase 23% over the year with, uh, cost per engagement down 4%. So, uh, I, I have no, I don't know. It just seems like, uh, it, I, I guess Twitter is, is, uh, Working for something. I think people? they've made a turnaround. I think they've. I think they've made a turnaround. Like uh, to me, Twitter is in much better shape in 2019 than it was in 2016, 2017. Yeah. Well, so I thought they were gonna. I thought they were gonna go under, and now I, I see them actually kind of doing okay again. Well, you know, it, it it it's interesting that the platform has turned into something where um, the president releases national policy on Twitter, and I. I just, I, I don't know if I, I, I was thinking about this uh, actually just now in my head, like, is, <laughs> is the president tweeting on the platform? Uh, I mean, is that boosting the company? It might be, you know, you know, it's kind of a weird thing. Did you see that OJ Simpson just created a Twitter account like yeah. two years ago? And he, and he, he, he posted so, yeah. a, um, he's going to get even, yeah, he's going to he, get even. He posted a video in which he says at the end, I got some getting even to do. Uh, so, uh, who knows what that means? Uh, YouTube executives reportedly mulling over removing all children's content from their main site. Uh, this is probably because there's been a lot of uh, uh, problems with the site. Number one, uh, people, you know, one of the, the ways that the YouTube algorithm works is that it keeps feeding slightly more extreme content to people to, to keep people hooked in. Uh, with their autoplay system and their suggestion system. And uh, this is uh, this has been a problem because somebody may be looking for like places to go in New York and end up with 9-11 conspiracy videos. And, uh, you know, there, there's also like... What, some, what's the problem there? Well, the problem, the problem is, is that <laughs> some people look up like kids' toy, toy uh, videos, for instance, and they end with stuff that is like, close to pizza gate they end with pizza yeah, gate. gate or even child like near child <laughs> pornography there was a whole problem with uh young uh girls and boys like uploading suggestive videos to youtube and then in the comments people were leaving uh uh places that links to like child porn sites 
uh, and you know they they weren't policing it very well. So uh, a lot of well, parents are. I think are, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think it makes sense to separate the two, uh, the children and the and the man for for two reasons. One, yeah, the suggestions afterwards, then they can all be limited to children. But two, they can control the advertising better over there too. So they could have a separate ad platform for children's yeah. stuff versus adult stuff, and they they have more um, more oversight, more control. So I, I think that's wise. Yeah, to that separate makes sense too, especially because like yeah. you know if if I, my son watches my uh, my YouTube channel. Uh, when I'm logged in, then I, it, 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 it fucks up my algorithm. You know, I hate that. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when they watch like your Netflix, and, oh, like, man. your suggestions are all screwed up. Yeah. <laughs> my thumbnails don't look right. <laughs> <laughs> don't mess with my algorithm, man. Uh, also, the thumbnails are tailored to what your, your interests. So like if somebody else is messing with your Netflix, your thumbnails are not, they're not your interests anymore. So, uh, uh, in other news, Google, uh, will now cite where its song lyrics are coming from following the genius dispute. So, uh, genius is a, uh, is a, uh, song lyric website. And, uh, it turned out that Google was scraping the site and posting it in search results without crediting the site. And one of the ways that they, uh, they did that is by adding, uh, in, in, within the lyrics, uh, different types of, uh, commas and, uh, little bits of information. And one of them spelled yeah, out because then it's no longer plagiarism, right? It's definitely not plagiarism as long as you change the punctuation. Right. Right. They, but they, they, uh, <laughs> but Google was <laughs> kidding, uh, kidding. <laughs> Google was, uh, stealing it, uh, matched down to the character. And so, uh, they kind of got into trouble. They lied about it. And uh, so now Google will now cite where its song lyrics are coming from uh, following the genius dispute. You know, whoever came up with that website must have been a, um, a, a smart person of some sort. Can't think of a word for that, but um, <laughs> well, so uh, what else you got for me, man? Uh, I mean, that's uh, that's it for the, the world of tech news that's, uh, that I see as like super relevant right now. One last thing. Advertisers uh, can now target Spotify podcast listeners. So uh, we've talked about this a little bit. So in select uh, markets, advertisers can uh, limit their campaigns on Spotify to podcast genres. I think that you and I got to take that on, man. We got to we got to do some podcast advertising. Yeah, yeah, no, we need to we need to explore this. So yeah, maybe uh Heck if yeah. you're listening to the show and you're on Spotify, you might hear one of our ads soon because I I want to do this. I had um I had called Spotify earlier this year to figure out about like how the podcast ads would work and they did not have much of a platform for podcasting. They had an ad platform and you could target like certain genres of music but it really they had nothing that went to podcasting so now this is cool so i'm actually very interested in this and i, I want to um i think i think some of our future listeners might be listening back to the show being like you know what i heard about them on a on a spotify podcast ad <laughs> that's how they got me that's how they got me well and now i've never been able to escape yeah man well because um, it is a cold the marketing geeks cold there is there are seven listeners. They would, <laughs> they would, uh, they would swallow poison for us. Uh, and then, uh, before, before we, uh, we, we wrap up, I, I just, um, I, I just want to, uh, ask you, how's your health, man? How's my health? Yeah. My health is, uh, it's good. It's good. I got a clean bill of health. Uh, my one-year-old's been battling some, uh, some colds and some, 
some mild fevers, but my health has been, uh, for the most part, I would say good. Not not fantastic, but good. You know, you know why I asked this is because um, why I, I found Did out. You want to that, embarrass me that, on the air? Well, you 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 may very shortly get a new type of prescription, a prescription Ooh. for love. Oh yeah! Okay, it is the return. This will be doc, doctor approved of the sex doctor robot love report. Approved. That's right. <laughs> I know you missed it. Uh and it's back. All all of our listeners, except for one of them, love the sex robot report. Um. According to Futurism.com, a, quote, expert, doctors will soon prescribe sex robots to patients. The bots may help people overcome sexual (laughs) dysfunctions at the expense of civilization. That's that's a great headline. Once again, bots may help people. Say that again. Bots may help people overcome sexual dysfunction at the expense of civilization. Why? Not, Why is there the expense of civilization? Because we're not going to reproduce because everyone's going to want bots. Is that I mean, the, is that the theory here? You, the you know, I, I think we can afford a, 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 a slightly less humans on the planet. Um, yeah, so, we, we've uh, we've like doubled the population in the last what, like fifteen years. And so um, yeah, yeah, we we could slow down a bit. We yeah, could slow down a bit. Totally, totally. Uh, unless the uh, new population all have gills, uh, then you know we can have a. Underwater sex robots. Uh, Dry land is not a myth. (laughs) So not only are sex robots on the horizon, but they may one day be covered uh, by your health insurance, according to clinical psychologist and sex therapist, Marianne Brandon. During her... Not my health insurance. My health insurance denies everything. Yeah, well, I'm in the Netherlands, so, you know, they may deliver one to my door. Uh, During her presentation at the Applied Evolutionary Psychology Society's Mental Health Symposium on June 4th, Brandon argued that doctors might one day prescribe hyper-realistic sex robots to patients diagnosed as sexually dysfunctional. And while that might sound like a harmless enough solution to a tragic problem, the impact on society could be devastating. Does he elaborate on the what that means, that statement? Well, that the impact on society could be devastating. According to a Psychology Today story, Brandon noted that during her presentation that sex robots are in development and that extremely sophisticated ones will likely arrive within the next decade or two. God, I hope I can still get it up by then. These robots will likely be capable of carrying out nearly any sex act imaginable. I want to be covered in Nutella and then strapped to the hood of a car going 70 miles an hour and um, have my toes licked. How's that? Huh. I think that, I think well, that I guess you're covered. I mean, it's, you know, it said anything imaginable. Right. And if you can, if you can, if the mind can conceive, yeah, then you can achieve. Yeah. I, I want to be in a Superman outfit while that happens. Uh, and uh, it could even have personalities that make them appear smart and witty. Or whatever it is you're into. Brandon also believes that the male majority in Congress will support and pass legislation that makes it possible for doctors to prescribe these robots to patients. I mean, come on. Like, what? Doctors. <laughs> Who needs doctors? Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, uh, I don't really share this vision with this so-called expert. 
Uh, I think we're, I mean, maybe, maybe like 50 to a hundred years from now, this is possible, but I, I just don't, I don't see it. I don't see the culture shift. I think there's going to be a stigma around these dolls. I'm telling you. Well, uh, she predicts a population demise because uh, men will uh, gravitate towards sex robots. And you know what? Listen, if uh, th- this is all I can say, if, if a guy is more into his sex robot than a real partner, take them out of the gene pool. I mean, uh, you know, I think for a lot of women, it'll be like, Hey, you want to see my toy train collection? You know, it, it, it's who cares? That's all. That's all I can say about that. Uh, great, great analogy. That was like, this is brilliant. The toy yeah, train collection. Yeah. Yes. Oddly specific, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, next week we've got some other, uh, amazing guests we've got uh and we can't even talk about them because uh in fact yeah because you never know you never know (laughs) you never know sometimes sometimes we get a guest then they hear the show and then they uh say they like oh crap make an excuse yeah have my assistants make an excuse for me then we got an awesome guest and it turns out they've never heard the show so that's uh that's cool too uh that's about about all our guests usually they haven't heard the show (laughs) so with that (laughs) thank you everybody once again and uh, yeah, we've uh, we've got some really great stuff coming up. I'm building the website finally, man. I'm feeling like energized. I'm feeling like into it. We've got a webinar coming up. Yes, yes, we do. We have a webinar coming up. Uh, more details to come on that. But yes, mark your calendars. Get ready. There will be a webinar coming up in the next four to six weeks. We'll call it that right now. Yeah. And uh, if you think you uh, know anybody who'd be a great guest on the show, and uh, or if you have a podcast and you would like to have us on your podcast, or if you just want to, you know, tell 500 of your closest friends about us, do that. Leave a review. Good or bad. Doesn't matter. If we suck, let us know that. We want to know. We want to. Yeah. And if you, you know? if you do want to have us on your podcast or be on our podcast, the email is info at marketinggeekspodcast.com. And you're going to be speaking with Iris, our podcast manager. The lovely, lovely Iris. Iris, you want to you want to give a shout out real quick? She said, shout out to the great, she's ironing in the background. So like a, like a, like a good wife. She's amazing. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, 